Well, lots to talk about when it comes to politics and business uh, in this province. I thought it was time to catch up with our good friend, Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Hello, Keith. Yes. we got so many topics to talk about here. Uh, let's start with um, uh, the port uh, strike mm-hmm. and the tentative deal. Strike. There's no strike at the moment. There's a tentative deal and there wasn't a tentative deal. And now uh, they're voting today, are they not? They're finishing voting. So what is it, four, just after four now? So the voting ends at six o'clock. Uh, we should know the results around 9 p.m. I'm betting that it's going to be accepted um, because I think they know it, it, the minister has signaled it's inevitable. This strike is over. I mean, there's not going to be any more job action. Mm-hmm. The labor board has basically, the industrial relations board has ruled there cannot be any pickets. There's no job action. If, if the uh, deal is voted down, uh, the two parties have two days to make submissions to the board. And if the board feels uh, that a negotiated deal cannot be made at the table, and I think if this is voted down, they would conclude that, because I don't see any basis to conclude any uh, other than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seamus O'Regan, the Liberal Minister, has made it clear that they would then have two choices, impose a new collective agreement or send the contentious issues that haven't been resolved, which are particularly automation, and you know, I've talked about these issues before, and who has jurisdiction over maintenance work, uh, whether it's contracting out or whether the union does that work, that would go to binding arbitration. So those are the two options the board has if the vote is rejected uh, tonight. Um, but I'm betting it's going to be accepted because uh, there's not much point in rejecting it when you know you're not going to be able to go back on strike anyways. Yeah, and that's, that includes a 19.2% increase over four years as well. So uh, a lot of good things there for them. And a $3,000 well. signing bonus. Yes, exactly. It would actually bring the median wage, which means as many people earn more than this number as earn below it, to $162,000 a year, up from 136000 by the end of that four-year contract. Yeah, I don't think they're going to find much sympathy out in the, in the public, no. that's for sure. So, And our economy can't afford this uh, tentative deal or no deal. Uh, conversation. So hopefully it'll be done tonight and we can move forward. Let's touch on uh, actually a segment that we aired an hour ago. We were speaking to Ken Peacock from the Business Council of BC, their chief economist, uh, and he was talking about how our immigration numbers just don't add up when you take in housing starts as well and housing uh, or homes that we're actually building. Uh, Take a listen to his comments in regards to the BC's population numbers. We decided to take a kind of a, a closer look and see exactly what the figures are, and it's very startling. Um, last year, 180,000 people moved into British Columbia. Permanent residents, we had 65,000 permanent residents come into BC. So where we really saw the jump was in the net non-permanent category. And the non-permanent resident category is mostly temporary foreign workers, and students, and we saw 114,000 net non-permanent residents move into British Columbia over that four-quarter period. Really a lot of pressure there, Jazz. So, Keith, 180,000 people have moved to BC in the last uh, uh, four quarters, so the past past last year. We have built just over 40,000 new homes uh, in that time. Uh, And as, as, uh, you know, uh, he was saying, Ken was saying, that generally we do have years where, you know, it's a two-to-one ratio in regards to population growth versus homes being built. Every couple of years that this does happen, it recalibrates, it resets itself, and it goes back to sort of the normal in this case, as Ken was saying, we've been above this ratio since 2017, and it continues to grow. I mean, I don't know how you get out of this beyond saying we're not going to build anymore, even though we talk about this. Well, really, the issue is perhaps less immigrants. 
Well, I've been. This is one of my. I find this one of the more fascinating topics. I wrote a column. My weekly column was, I think, back in June nineteenth for Glacier Media on this exact issue: our unprecedented levels of immigration, which are ostensibly being workers being brought in to fill some skill shortages, which is, you know, that's great, and immigration does fuel the economy. But the number now is so such a large number. Uh, it's putting enormous pressure on already two or three beleaguered pressure areas, housing and health care in particular. The demand for health care is through the roof because our population has exploded. And the, and the number of aging seniors is, is going up significantly as well. And housing is another one, as Ken says, this is unprecedented. We're, we cannot build enough housing quick enough to match the immigration levels that are coming in. The Trudeau government has basically more than doubled the immigration levels. It's 500,000 a year now. BC's getting, you know, 130,000, I think, a year. Uh, 95% of the people coming into BC locate in three areas only. They don't go to Prince George or Fort St. John or Nelson. They go to the Okanagan, that's one of the smaller percentage in the Kelowna area. Uh, they come to the capital region in South Vancouver Island, and the bulk of them go to Metro Vancouver. And those three areas have the hottest housing markets in the entire country, and that's why they'll continue to be hot. And that's why the price of housing is not going down by any appreciable amount in the foreseeable future, because the demand will remain sky high, because our population continues to explode. And it's not just housing, it's health care, you know, BC ferries, as more and more people want to travel BC ferries, because partly because there's just that many more people living in British Columbia. And the percentage travel, well, if you've got a higher group of people, that percentage becomes a higher number. Uh, and we'll touch on BC ferries uh, and, and it, what, what an important, important weekend this is. But just focusing on the immigration and housing issue, um, you know, when you hear these stories, uh, I worry that, you know, I, I, what I hear a lot in the Lower Mainland is I'm pro-immigration, but... And I worry that this conversation about housing and affordability or health care, whatever it may be, leads us to make decisions that may have longer-term repercussions on our country, which is let's cut, cut back on immigration and, and we cut back too much. Because I think by 2030, 25% of the entire Canadian population is going to be over the age of 65. And I think it was at 11% uh, just about to 10 years ago. So it's significant growth in the elderly population. And we still need them, but I, I, there's a fundamental disconnect in regards to supply of homes and, and, uh, versus immigration. Yes, and, and that gap is just going to get wider and wider unless immigration levels are reduced or the housing starts are increased. And back to skill shortages. There's only so many people out there who can build houses. We have a, a shortage of skilled workers. Um, you know, some mega projects slow down sometimes in construction because they just can't get enough workers. It, finding skilled workers is a constant challenge, and that applies to the housing construction sector as well. I did. A, I mentioned this to some to people from time to time. I did a piece a number of years ago with the BC Construction Association, mm-hmm. and they pointed out their retirement challenge was over a period of years the number of foremen and project managers were going to dis, were just going to disappear. And that's uh, putting a crimp in construction projects. When you just can't come out of trade school and run a project. You've got to have a number of years of experience to be foreman. And so we have a shortage of people like that. And that exacerbates a, a problem. So this, is a, this has been flagged by a number of us as a problem going forward. And again, it's not to be anti-immigration, mm-hmm. but the, uh, your point, uh, you know, immigration but. And if the supports are not there in terms of the infrastructure, both for housing, 
uh, for services and for healthcare. Um, you're creating a problem where one didn't exist before. We are speaking to Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. We've been talking uh, about uh, BC's population number and, of course, our immigration numbers versus housing. Uh, lots to talk about there. We also know that longshoremen are, are uh, finishing their vote today in regards to the deal that was offered to them by the Maritime Association, hoping to hear from them in the early evening. Uh, let's talk a little bit, Keith, about uh, BC Ferries. A busy weekend for them, the busiest weekend this BC Day long weekend. Nicholas Jimenez, the CEO, was on this show uh, a few days ago. We talked a lot about what's transpired over the last two or three weeks, specifically in regards to the coastal celebration that had gone down. Take a listen to his comments. What's happened in the last week, and also, yeah, you're right, with the July long weekend, mm-hmm. we were really acutely affected by not having the coastal celebration in service. That took out a lot of needed capacity in our system, and I think customers felt that. We were all very frustrated. That represented, you know, 12,000 or so tr- passengers that we we couldn't service, uh, and, and that was a challenge. So that ship has been repaired. Uh, we had to replace the seals on all the repeller, uh, repeller blades on the uh, number two hub, and that ship is going to be back in service. So that will give us the capacity we need. We desperately need to move. Like you said, 580,000 people are going to be tra- sailing with us this mm-hmm. weekend. So that was from a few days ago. And uh, as of now, it looks like everything is moving along. And I hope it stays uh, that way for the entire weekend. Keith, um, the coastal celebration and the challenges Ferries has had over the last few weeks also speaks, I think, to a desperate need to spend more money and a lot more money moving forward on some of these uh, vessels that do need to be replaced. Well, indeed, and uh, him and as has pointed out, they've got a five billion dollar capital plan, and maybe even not even that's not enough. But as we're seeing with the coastal celebration, that's a relatively new vessel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not an aging vessel, so if you end up getting the wrong vessel and it's got a, a part problem. Uh, or for whatever problem. I mean, this is not the first time the Coastal Celebration has had an, an, an issue with uh, breakdowns or the rena- Coastal Renaissance. They don't seem to be as robust a vessel as the Spirit vessels, for example. So Capital Plan only takes you so far. But you're, you're right, they do need more vessels, but uh, they need more capacity. And back to our population growth. You know, mm-hmm. almost a half billion people more have moved into B.C. in the last six, seven years. Uh, I think it's like 470,000 people. That's an enormous amount of people. And just like everyone else, they're going to want to take the ferry system from time to time. Um, you know, they're, not, they're not suddenly not going to be ferry users. And it, it, this population growth puts a squeeze on all services, whether it's, again, housing, health care, or the ferry service. So, yeah, they have to build a lot more to keep up with the anticipated increase in demand in the coming years. Do you see a time for another ferry terminal uh, on this side, uh, perhaps, uh, in Richmond? You know, that's a, that's a very good idea, uh, very good question. I remember when David Hahn first took over BC Ferries, he, he asked me, he goes, can you explain to me, why does Salt Spring Island have three t- ferry terminals and Metro has two? Um, which is sort of the, the vagaries of the system, and he, that didn't make a lot of sense. I think it's inevitable. You're going to have they're, they're having real problems. Where there's been ongoing controversy trying to um, modernize the Horseshoe Bay Terminal. Uh, Tawasin is sort of stuck out there. Um, for those old enough to remember the old BC uh, Tawasin Terminal, you used to have to park your car on the causeway and walk to the to the ferry, and sometimes that's about a mile long mm-hmm. before they finally built a parking lot. But I think they may have maxed out 
what they can do it to us. And, and it's anyone who's a, a, gone through there recently as a foot passenger, mm-hmm. unacceptable. The crowds you have to uh, navigate through, uh, it, it's just not big enough for the traveling public right now. I think more ferry terminals are likely, but exactly where they're going to be, be located, I'm not sure where. Well, that is going to be the conversation. I, I mean, I'd love to have a, a, a bridge head over to, to, to Vancouver Island, but I don't think that's never going to happen. Not going to happen. Few people know the big problem with the bridge, the Georgia Strait or the Sailor Sea, as it's called, is one of the deepest ocean trenches in the entire world. You cannot anchor a bridge to the bottom, and you can't have a floating bridge because those those seas are just too storm tossed for about three months of the year. Wow. Well, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, let's talk about the other big issue uh, uh, today uh, in the news. That, of course, is 6,000 people laid off uh, at TELUS. Wow. Um, you know, when you, when you hear that, Keith, I mean, TELUS is generally a well-run company. It's done well, and it's not just in the in the, the cell phone business or the home telephone business. And the, it's in the TV business in regards to cable or uh, their optic service. They're involved in healthcare. They're involved in agriculture. It's a very diversified company. Uh, I think this has a lot to do with it, a lot to do with actually reminding us that with these interest rate increases, that we are, you know, the economy is slowing, and it, whether it's a recession, a soft recession, or maybe we don't have a recession, it is nevertheless slowing, and these companies are sort of a canary in the coal mine. Well, it's interesting. Telus is not losing money. Telus is making a lot of money, and they still decided to lay six thousand people off. So their profits declined. But they're still profitable. So in the last quarter, the second quarter, they made $196 million in profits. But that was down 61%. So the argument from the company is that hurts our cash flow situation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is to do with interest rates. So this is a profitable company that if they made the same amount of money in each subsequent quarter, will make $800 million this year and yet still found fit to lay off. Uh, 6,000 people, I, should, I think really no one saw this coming, even though other telecom giants, BCE, for example, just laid off 1,500 people across the country, and others are struggling with ch- uh, changing technology. But, yeah, the, the job survey came out today. BC's unemployment still dropped a bit. Unemployment dropped down to 54 It's down a little bit, mm-hmm. um, down about 0.2 percentage points, fourth lowest in the country. But um, And we added full-time jobs, but we lost part-time jobs which is probably one of those glass half-full, half-empty things. But, yeah, this economy is going to continue to struggle, but it's still kind of smooth sailing with some bumps along the way, and TELUS was a big bump today. Yeah, absolutely. I had uh, uh, the Minister of Jobs on uh, at 3.35, and Minister Bailey, uh, Brenda Bailey, uh, talked about you know some of the jobs that were created here in British Columbia. I did have to remind her and we about the fact that look, a lot of these jobs are still government jobs. We still have created more jobs uh, by the NDP on the on the public sector side than the private sector size side. And I know with COVID there was a reason for that, uh, but you can't sustain uh, creating more public sector jobs and private sector jobs. You just can't over the long term. So well, and most of those public sector jobs are in healthcare. So that's yeah. one of the biggest growth areas. Almost eight thousand jobs. We need, according to the health ministry, 35,000 additional health care workers in the next five years alone because of retirements and the need for more services. So the public sector will continue to grow at a large rate. But you're right, the private sector, we need job creation there. That's what's going to sustain the economy going forward. And again, the job numbers, depends where you live. You know, 2,000 jobs were lost in the northeast uh, corner of B.C. in the last uh, month. So 
uh, as some of our resource operations contract a bit, that's where you're going to see some job loss. But in particular, uh, the forest industry is still in a lot of trouble and continues to be in a lot of trouble and likely will be for some time. Yeah, we forget there's a tale of two provinces or three provinces sometimes. So it's uh, it is the economy is going to be uh, challenged and uh, for for a while yet. That's for sure. Keith, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Have a great long weekend, everyone.